Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. It's been such a great journey through the Bible over the last few months, hasn't it? It's been a great joy to grow in the Word of God. And um, we believe in the Bible. We believe it is true. We believe it is perfect. We believe that the Bible gives us our identity, and so our identity determines our actions, not our actions or desires that determine our identity, amen? So as a follower of Jesus, that means you're following Jesus. Jesus isn't following you, and so the scriptures have been showing us the heart of God for us as humanity. We've been experiencing the great stories of the Old Testament. We've been seeing the the glimmers of Jesus who has been shouting from the, the beautiful aspects of the Old Testament. It's been powerful, and we believe in the Bible here. We believe that the young generation needs to have a uh, an education that has the Word of God imparted into their lives. What we do here on Sunday is to supplement but what you do at home. But one of the great really honors it is that we have is we have a Christian school here. And we believe that there is no greater time for Christian education for our children than right now. We also believe that, amen. We also believe that there is a demonic strategy that is, has been assigned against the next several generations, amen, who would be deconstructing gender, sexuality, and it's creating confusion in many children's lives. And so we're honored to be able to offer Christian education here for for you and for our Christian community in this city. But our school has grown a bit, and so I just want to give you some, some opportunities that for us as a church, we or as a school as well, we, uh, we have several openings in our classroom, and as we've grown, our, our need for teachers have grown. And so we have uh, openings in elementary classroom aides, upper um, elementary teacher, a music teacher, tech support, um, middle school subject areas, including science and language arts. And if, if you or anyone you know might feel the call of God to minister in Christian education, you can apply, go to faith.church and click on apply and uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you, amen? So if you know somebody, send them our way. If you don't want them teaching your child, don't send them our way, okay? Does that, that make sense? Okay, good, good. Well guys, listen, uh, really we're speaking today on a, on a book that maybe a lot of you are familiar with. A lot of people love this book and we're in the book of Ruth today and I, and I titled this A Romance of Grace, which is really, really a story of my life as yesterday was Cheryl and I's 23rd wedding anniversary. Awesome, love you, great. And uh, I won't, I won't um, tire you with our whole romance story and somehow I'm Boaz and she's Ruth. No, we're not going to do that today, okay? But we are going to see some things in, in the book of Ruth that maybe you haven't seen before. I love the Bible because it's real, because it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't pull any punches on the reality of humanity. And, uh, and the fact is this, as we've been along the journey, frankly, the, the journey of humanity that we've seen in God's desire to work through them and ultimately bring his son Jesus through them, it's just not pretty. I think all of us can look at aspects of our life and say, that's just not pretty. Well, this story really isn't pretty either. 
I'm going to be really honest today about this book. I, I'm probably going to say some things you've you you never um, you never seen before, or after this you never you wish you hadn't heard. But I'm going to tell you anyway. In this book of Ruth, there's a tragedy. There's questionable advice. There's romance, but there's a large glimpse of the grace of God. The Bible doesn't hide anything. It's real. It's it's honest. And that's why another reason it can be trusted, not only that it's been proven time and time again, it's, it is, it, God doesn't leave anything out. And what I love about the scriptures is it's not, it's not written in a way that, that makes man the hero. It's written in a way that shows man the, really the way we are and it makes God the hero. It's all about him. It's about his faithfulness to us. And so the book of Ruth is, is nestled in this time that Pastor Mark spoke of last week. And, and really the time of when everything's going on in the book of Ruth is laid out perfectly in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, that in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is the setting of the book of Ruth. The events of the book of Ruth are during the dark days of the judges. Again, we've... Uh, when, when the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, they were chosen by God and they were chosen to bring the savior of the world. God chose them. He selected them. He portioned them off. He gave them a land to be in because he had a greater purpose. And that's to fulfill what happened in Genesis three, when he prophesied after the fall of man, that a one would come from the woman the seed of the woman that would crush the head of Satan. And so he chose Abraham. He chose the Jews, the Hebrews, to bring forth Jesus. And so this is their purpose, but along the way they're drifting, and here they are drifting horrifically. Very similar to even how places that call themselves churches today do not preach the Bible. They preach ideas, they preach humanism, they preach whatever's cool, they preach whatever flag is they want to fly. That's what they do because they have drifted from the purpose of the church. Same way, they have drifted of the purpose of what God had for them. And if you wanted to bring this into our day, it would say it, the setting of Ruth would be in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone lived according to their own personal truth. It's really what was going on. Parts of the book of Ruth are, they're descriptive. Much of what we're gonna to read today is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning it's, it's giving you the details of the events. It's not telling you how to live your life. It's very important you understand that. And this book of Ruth begins with a Jewish family. And I'm gonna tell the story today. We're gonna to have a lot of fun and you're gonna be uncomfortable and it's gonna be great. Begins with the Jewish family moving from Bethlehem to Moab. What's interesting, the beginning of the book of Ruth isn't really about Ruth. It's not about her. But this family moved from Bethlehem to Moab because of a famine. And the famine existed in the land in Israel because everyone lived according to their own personal truth. It was part of God's discipline. Now remember, these are God's people. This is a Jewish family. They've been set aside for God's purposes. 
They're to be living and dwelling in the land. We've been on a journey with them from Genesis out of Egypt into, into the land with Joshua. And that's where they're supposed to be because God has set them aside so they won't be seduced by the gods of the other nations so that he can keep them pure and bring his son Jesus through them. And they're supposed to stay in the land. But these, this family decides we're going to leave Bethlehem. And so it begins, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, which means um, the house of bread in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were, were Malon and Kilion. Sounds like they're from Star Trek, but that's fine. <laughs> they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she, sorry, she was, she was left with her two sons, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, after they had lived there about 10 years, but Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. It's a very difficult setting of what's going on. I want you to first catch something here because it's important we, we note this, because a lot of times when you, we read the book of Ruth, it's like, yay, it's romance and it's wonderful, but there are some very, there's some very, uh, there's some bad decisions that were made in the book of Ruth. I want you to see this. Remember, this family is from the line of Abraham. They are Israelites. They're not to intermarry with the other nations. They're to dwell in, in the land they're to honor God and worship God in the, in, in, in the community which he set them in. They're supposed to be with other people who love God. They're supposed to be in a community with other people who are serving the one true God. They're supposed to raise families around godly families so that their children can marry godly children and they can reproduce and they can, they can keep God, the one true God, the center of their lives, the center of their community. That's why they were set aside. The concern for, for God over the children of Israel much of the time was, was you need this so you are not seduced by the gods of the other nations, the false gods of the other nations. But this family didn't do that. Elimelech doesn't seem to take this into account. He doesn't think about it, who, who his sons will marry. It's important. You need to think about who, who are your children around? Who is influencing them? He didn't think about who his sons are going to marry. He didn't think about who was going to influence him. He didn't think about who was going to influence his wife. He moves his family to a land in the midst of, the, of a people that worship a demonic God. It's like moving your family to downtown Seattle. I'm just kidding. I'm just going. <clears throat> That's not my notes. That's free. You can have that one. We can cut that out later as well. 
but he moves them in the, in the midst of a people that worship demonic gods. And they lived there for 10 years. They didn't go to church. They didn't hang out with other believers. Their sons did not marry godly women. It's very likely that they fell away from the truth. And now what about these Moabites? What does it matter? Well, you need to understand the backstory. The Moabites get their start from an ancestral relationship. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Abraham's brother, escapes with his daughters and it's Lot and his daughters. Now remember, they grew up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Very, very perverse. Very similar to what's happening in the Moabite world at this time. And so these two young women are worried that they're not going to be able to have children because there's no men around because they all got burnt up because of their sexual perversion. And what they did is they got their father drunk and they slept with him and they both got pregnant. It's gross, I know, but this is the reality. And so both the daughters got pregnant. One named her son Moab. The other daughter named her son Ben-Amim. So Moab was the father of the Moabites. And Ben-Amim is the father of the Amorites. And they did not worship the one true God. They worshiped these demonic gods, spiritual beings that rebelled from God and received the worship of these people to themselves and they worship this demonic God through human sacrifice, through lewd rituals. Also in their religion, the women were taught seductive practices and rituals. And they would practice these things to, to worship this demonic God. They were known to be incredibly sexually perverse. These are the Moabites. And this is where... Elimelech, the father, chose to move his family. I think he could have chosen a little better. He should have Googled it before he went there. But he knew he wasn't supposed to. And so he moves him from a land that's named the house of bread. And so he moves there and lo and behold, his sons end up marrying a Moabite woman. Listen, don't be surprised if you don't raise your family in the ways of God that they don't grow up to be godly. Everybody say amen. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't get mad at God. Listen, you moved to Moab. God did not move you there. And so here you have the situation. But now Elimelech is dead. Naomi's a widow. Naomi's two sons die. Now, now it's three widows, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. Things could not get much worse. There's no food. They're in a foreign land, or Naomi is. No children, no men to protect them, no men to work the fields to help provide. They've reached the bottom. And so Naomi wisely decides, I'm, we need to go back, or I'm gonna go back to Bethlehem. And she tells Orpah and Ruth, to return to their mother's house. Now, the Jewish Midrash writes very strongly that Ruth and Orpah were sisters. 
But she said, you need to go back so you can be taken care of, you can be protected, you can be provided for. So Orpah, Orpah goes back and she says, fine. And they have a little cry sex session and be like, I can't believe it. Anyway, we gotta go. Orpah says, I'm gonna head back. Ruth says, I'm staying with you. And so Ruth makes a covenant with Naomi. Ruth the Moabite makes a covenant with Naomi the Israelite which consists of a significant covenant. I want you to catch it before we can get to the context of this. She makes a covenant to Naomi, God's people, and she makes a covenant to Naomi's God, the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. She makes, she declares, and she has a conversion experience. Your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And so we read in Ruth 1, she says, don't urge me. She tells Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or turn, turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. But it even so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So they made a journey, Ruth and Naomi. Really at this moment, Ruth became Naomi's daughter. They were one. They were covenanted to one another. So they made a journey. Where they were living was probably around 30 miles away from Bethlehem, so it took them a while to get there. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, they were in a desperate situation. They are homeless, they are penniless, they don't have food. They seemingly don't have a future, they don't have a family. They, they, they are broke, busted, and disgusted. This is what's going on. And probably disgusting after walking the 30 miles. You know, you just, it's, it, they don't have husbands, it's bad. Bad situation. Bethlehem is coming out of a famine, starting to see the blessing of God again. There's some provision that's happening. But here's the good news. Naomi's aware that there is a provision in the law for the poor and the destitute. Well, that's who they are. That during the harvest time, the poor and the destitute could come and glean from the margins of the fields. And that which was left over from the harvesters, the poor and the needy can come and take some for themselves, for their own provision. So Naomi tells Ruth about this and Ruth begins to go and to glean. She goes, I'll go and I'll glean. So Ruth, who's a good daughter, she's a hard worker, she goes and she begins taking care of her new mom and herself. And, and in the sovereign providence of God, the Bible says this in Ruth chapter two, verse three, she happened, I love that, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. So these are probably shared fields. He was a sharecropper. This was part of it and as she was gleaning, she happened to come to the field of Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech who happens to be the relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And what we know about Boaz is this, just to give some context, he's single, he's older, he's a businessman, he has workers, he seems successful, but Naomi mentions him as he is a worthy and a godly man. So this is good. 
He, he, both, he both loves the Lord and he has a job. Very important. If, if you're a single woman, first look for someone who loves the Lord. Then ask, do you have a job? Amen. All the dads say amen. All right. That's funny. And then what we know is Boaz comes to the field to check on his workers. And he walks and he notices Ruth. And he goes, hey, now remember that she's not the only one working. This is what was happening. The poor and the needy were out getting and gathering wheat. So, but he notices Ruth and he goes, uh, hey, foreman, who's that gal? And he says, she's the daughter-in-law of Naomi and has come back with her from Moab. And the worker says one, one more big, or sorry, little, but it's a big thing. And she's a really hard worker. Single men. Make sure she loves the Lord and she has a good work ethic. Amen? But for Boaz, there's something about this Ruth girl. There's something about, there's something that she kind of, who is that? Now, I remember in 1998, I was at Bible college and this girl walked in the cafeteria and I asked my friend Donnie DuPont, hey, Donnie, who's that girl? And he said, that's Cheryl Lewis, who's now Cheryl King. <laughs> so th- there, are, there are things and people you notice. He noticed Ruth. Now, what was interesting, what I love about this is Boaz, one, he's told she's a hard worker. Two, he's already actually been fully told about this Moabite girl who has come back with Naomi and how faithful she is being, how faithful she's being to Naomi. And Boaz appreciates that. He sees this character in her. He sees the integrity. He sees the commitment. He sees the hard work. He sees her. And now he's like, oh, that's the girl. And so he begins to show kindness to her. He was pressed, impressed by all of these things about her. And he tells her, listen, hey, Ruth, there's no need for you to go to any other field. You stay right here. I've told my young men not to harm you. If you're thirsty, you drink from the water of the workers. It's cool. You can have that. He tells the workers, Ruth can glean wherever she's stinking once. Not just on the edges, he tells the workers, leave some extra out for her to pick up. Just, just drop a little bit here and there. Do that for her. He has connected her with, with people around. He's protected her. Remember, she's a Moabite woman, so naturally there would have been some, a little bit of discrimination against her. Also, there's this other idea that Israeli or Israelites have historically been attracted to Moabite women. And Moabite women have historically successfully been able to seduce Israeli men, Israelites. And so there's this intrigue there. And so he tells them, listen, you leave her alone. 
You, you take care of her. Don't say anything derogatory to her. You do not rebuke her. Be respectful. Now, Boaz knew that she had converted to the one true God, but she still is a race that they aren't very nice to. At mealtime, Boaz, Boaz even says this. He, he invites her to his table. He said, listen, I want you to just come and eat at this table. And I would say, I, I don't see this uh, as a romantic thing. I just, I see character of Boaz being a friend to this young woman. He's older, she's younger. He values these character traits about her and he just, he just wants to take care of her. So he's, he is, he's doing this. And so this friendship is developing. But during the harvest time, about six to eight week is, weeks have gone by. And so Ruth has been daily going. She's been working the field. She's been a part of it. He has introduced her also to, to other women that have been workers so to give extra protection for her in a, in a community. He has provided the things that are necessary as a friend. And so, but the harvest time is coming to an end. And so Naomi comes back in the story here. Naomi puts a plan together and gives Ruth some instructions. But in all reality, I, I just want to be honest with you, I, her instructions are very questionable. I know we love to spiritualize. All of this is the book of Ruth and there was nothing. Listen, we're talking about humanity. We're talking about Naomi who lived in Moab for 10 years. We're talking about Naomi and her husband Elimelech didn't raise a godly family. They allowed their sons to marry and, uh, and disobey the law. They, they moved out of the land. There is, it, I'm telling you, I don't trust her counsel. But again, I said this is, the title of this is a romance of grace. And so one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you. In other words, there's, you can tell there's a, there's a little bit of urgency here and where you will be provided for. The harvest time is coming to an end. And when that happens, you and Boaz aren't going to be hanging out together anymore. And uh, I think you guys make a good couple. Now, Boaz with whose women you have been work, working with is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Now remember this, Boaz is single and what makes him husband material, again, is he is responsible. He is a, a, a responsible man. He's good to his workers. He's been a friend to her. There's a lot of good things. But this next council is where it gets uncomfortable because we are, we, all of us are a part of a human story. And so the question is in the book of Ruth, what is God saying through the book of Ruth? And so it gets uncomfortable. This is where her counsel makes me uncomfortable. And I think if you're a parent of a young woman, when we just read, we're going to read this just a moment, you should be uncomfortable too. And the purpose of all of this, what we're about to read, it's debated by, by scholars, by co commentary writers. They are all over the place. Now, we know that Naomi doesn't always give the best advice. She told Orpah and Ruth to return to your household so they can, which means they're going to go back to worshiping demonic gods. 
I don't think that's good advice. We know that she had been influenced by the Moabite culture for a bit. I'm not disparaging Naomi. I'm just being honest with you about the reality of this human story. But we're going to see the grace of God in it. This, this is the next advice that she gives her daughter. Now remember, this, will, this makes us feel uncomfortable in 2022. This is 3,000 years ago. And everybody has tried to spin this. Well, this was the customs of the day. I'm telling you, this is not the customs. The threshing floor was known to be a place because the men would go, they would work, and they would stay with their crop because it was their, it was their money. So they wouldn't harvest it, leave it in the threshing floor, go home, and then come back in the morning. They stayed. They slept there. And the local prostitutes knew that, and it is historically proven the prostitutes would often come out to the threshing floor because these, these workers are there. They're away from home. They're, they're in a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, with their own truth, with their own bodies. Everyone did that, and they would come out, and they, we knew, we know that the threshing floor was not a place that would be appropriate for a young lady who has virtue. So Naomi says this, I want you to wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. And she goes on, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. This is uncomfortable. After he has finished eating and drinking. The and drinking has, he's not and drinking water. And drinking. And then the next line. When he lies down. Listen. Not good counsel. So I, when, when, when you read this, after you finish eating and drinking, and when he lies down, how, how many dads go, I don't like where this is going. Um, I'm not for sure about this. Listen, we had, the, we had the young adults over our house on Thursday. We had a great time. It was a, it was a lot of time. I would never tell them to do this. And neither would you. And I know, I know some of you think, listen, Jason, you better leave my book of Ruth alone. You're messing this thing up for me. But I think it's important we understand how the grace of God. I think so many times in our lives when we read the Bible, we, we want to elevate humanity. But actually, I think when we read the Bible, it needs to reveal to us only God could have been responsible for this. Only God could have been responsible for the outcome. I will say this, if you're a single woman and someone says, hey, listen, you go find your Boaz like this. Um, don't do it like this. You go find your Boaz. No, don't, don't follow Naomi's advice. So go there, threshing floor, known things, good things don't, not virtuous things don't happen. Wait till he's eaten and drank a little bit 
And when he lies down, let me just tell you this. Nothing good happens between a single man and a single woman in a horizontal position together. All the family say amen. amen. All the singles say amen. amen. Nothing good happens. We're just taking a nap. No, uh-uh, no, nope, no. Stay vertical. <laughs> Sleep sitting up. <laughs> just being honest with you guys. I just, I love you. Okay, so we go on. I've beaten that horse enough. Verse 4, when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. <laughs> it gets even more weird. I, like, go ahead. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. This last bit of advice is the worst bit of advice. He will tell you what to do. I'm sure he will. You're like, not my Boaz, my Boaz. Listen, I promise you, no godly parent would say, hey, you know, you know that guy whose husband material? Um, he's camping tonight. And I know where he's camping. I think you should go, sit out in the woods and watch him from a distance. When he's done eating his hot dog and s'mores and has had a couple beers and gets in his tent, I want you to sneak in there, get in the sleeping bag with him, and when he says, what are you doing here, say, I don't know, tell me what to do. I'm being honest. Some of you are like, not my Ruth. Nope. No godly parent would say that. There are two opinions of what happened on this night. One is the worst thing, worst advice, worst thing that could have ever happened. Not what God would have intended. The other is... Naomi is such a woman of faith and she trusts in the, the sovereignty and the perfection of God and that God spoke through her through prophetic perfection. She was a mouthpiece by God to orchestrate the marriage between Ruth and Boaz. I don't believe that either. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't believe anything non-virtuous happened. I don't believe something sinful happened. But I do believe that Naomi's instructions wasn't the best. What I do believe is that this is a story that demonstrates the grace of God. What I do believe that in all of these things and the advice that maybe is not the best and, and Ruth just being obedient and trying to follow her, her new mom's advice and trying to survive and trying to please the Lord with, with her life. I think this is a demonstration. The book of Ruth is a demonstration of the grace of God. Though I don't think her advice was the best, I, I do believe that we serve a God 
who is able in our mistakes, in our failures, when we listen to bad advice, when we make bad decisions, that the God that we serve is a God who is good at fathering. He's good at orchestrating our steps, even when we make mistakes. He's good at protecting us in situations that are stupid and desperate. And when we love him and when we turn our hearts towards him, when we turn our lives towards him, he's the God who works his purposes and his will through our lives as we desire to follow him. Even in our stupidity, he's the God of grace who leads us and guides us. I believe that this book is a demonstration of the sovereignty of the sovereign hand of God moving in Ruth and Boaz's life. This is not though, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not an excuse to be stupid. Amen. It's not an excuse to be like, oh, no matter what I do, God will just make sure I get there. That's stupid. Because it matters what you do. It matters how you live. It matters with the desire of your heart to submit yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. That matters. But the reality is this, you're not going to make perfect decisions in every aspect of your life. Parent, you're not going to give perfect counsel to your own children along the way either. So we can sit back and, and put all the, all the weight on us and our decisions and what we did or didn't do and our stupidity and go, oh no, that's why. Or we can step back and say, the grace of God is able to cover my brokenness, my broken mind, my mistakes, the things where I fall short. And by the grace of God, he will order my steps and he is so good at getting me where I need to be, when I need to be there, because he's a God of grace. And what God does with Ruth and Boaz can only be described and explained by this phrase, only by the grace of God. How many of you can look back over your life, think about it, where you didn't do the right thing, you took bad advice, you made decisions that you were like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. And when you look back over your life, you see the hand and the grace of God who moved you and orchestrated you and brought you to a place today that you don't deserve to be. This is the God that we serve. And I believe with all my heart, this is a, an old covenant demonstration of God's grace manifesting himself for his purpose and his will. That if you will surrender to him, even in your, in your ignorance and in the times that you make mistakes and you, you come to him and what you're aware of, you, you're able to, to repent and lay at his feet and live and walk from there, that he will do things in your life that you never thought possible. So we know Ruth and Boaz, they get married. I mean, you, you, you want to see the ridiculous grace of God. They get married. They have a son. That son's name is Obed or Obed. That son has a son named Jesse. That son has a son that's named David. 
And when you see the grace of God in this family's life, there's hope for all of us. When you turn over to Matthew chapter 1, you see this genealogy of Jesus. And you go, this is interesting. Matthew mentions four women. And you would think he'd mention Sarah and Rebecca and all the yay women. But he mentions four, oh man, you're going to mention those women? He mentions Rahab, he mentions Tamar, he mentions Bathsheba, and he mentions Ruth. He doesn't mention any other women. That must be on purpose. Matthew's whole audience was to the Jews. He was writing to the Jews. Why would he mention these four women? All four women had some questionable pasts. All four women had some discretions in their life. Rahab was a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabite. Good chance Bathsheba was a, a Hittite because she was married to Uriah the Hittite. What in the world's going on? And I'm telling you right now, it's to tell you and to, and to shout from the genealogy of Jesus that he's the God of grace. He's the God that can take every broken situation. He's the God that can take your mistakes. He can t he's the God who takes your stupidity. He's the God who takes your sin. He's the God who takes that, everything that you deserve for your sin and your stupid lives that you've lived, all of us along the way. And he's the God that brought his son Jesus so that by when we put our faith in him, we can come into a new life. We can be transformed, that the old things pass away, that we get a new mind, we get a new heart, we get a new last name and we get a new family. So Matthew 1, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew 1 verse 5 says, Salmon, the father of Boaz. Now look who Boaz's mom is. Whose mother was Rahab. So Boaz was half Canaanite. Ruth was full-blooded Moabite. One quarter Israelite. And God says, that's who I want to bring my son through. Matthew's whole message was saying something to the Jews. That this Messiah... It's not just for Jews. This Messiah is for the whole world. This Messiah is for every hurting, every broken, every person who has made mistakes, every person who didn't have the best upbringing, every person who was given bad advice growing up, every person that has given their bodies away, every person who's given their lives away, every person who has found themselves empty, alone, and in need. This Messiah came to save them. This Messiah came to show us what grace is. These people in this lineage would have been rejected by the religious. Even though they, had, they would have converted. 
because of where they came from, because of their past, because of all these things. But the reality is it was those who turned their faces to God. Those who said, I want the God of the Bible to be my God. Those are the ones that God chose to weave in this story. Again, it doesn't give us permission, but it gives us hope that we serve a God of grace who can take our deepest, darkest secret and he can forgive us and set us in a place of honor. You see, the law of Moses forbidded the Israelites from intermarrying. Moabites, Ammonites, Canaanites. In Exodus 34, it says it. In Deuteronomy 23, it says it. Actually, Deuteronomy 23 says, no one born of a forbidden marriage, which is anywhere, anything outside of, nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Not even to the 10th generation. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. All right, we got a problem. And again, the purpose, why this was laid out is to keep them from being, from being led astray by false gods of the nations. These Gentiles in the lineage of Jesus had turned their hearts towards the one true God. They became a part of the blessing. But by the law, they were forbidden to marry. Why in the world would God want these questionable characters restricted by the law of Moses in Jesus' family tree? It was this. This has been the whole story of this whole series. It's the whole of the Bible. It was to reveal the salvation and the new covenant that Jesus brought the night before he was betrayed and hung on a cross and died. He gave his disciples, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. There's something new going on here. There's a different way this is something that's being taken care of. The law is being satisfied. And the new covenant that Jesus brought is that salvation is not about works. It's not about race. It is only by his grace. It's only by his grace. John 1, 17, and I think this, this sums it all up. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Friend, we serve a God who's the God of grace. Listen, grace, grace is not to enable us to stay sinning. That's a, that's a wrong view of grace. Grace is the beginning of us seeing our identity and then living from what that identity actually is. Grace is the power that's giving 
that's given to us that breaks the power of sin over our lives so we don't have to sin. It is grace is the power that, that gives us the strength to move on and become righteous people and live holy lives and ask God to use us to bring him glory and honor. But as we look back over our lives, we don't stand in arrogance. We don't stand and look what I've done and look how holy I am. All of us, we stand and we declare it is only by the grace of God that I am here today. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by your cooperation with the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God that you can obey his word. It's only by the grace of God that you can raise your family. It's only by the grace of God. And we must understand, it is not by my own works where somehow I could boast about it. It is only by the grace of God. And the book of Ruth shouts from, from this book 3,000 years ago, the grace of God is available. Walk in it, take it, and it was made available by Jesus. That's what this is all about. It's God's heart, it's God's story for you, that he has a purpose for you, he has a plan for you. He wants to use you, he wants to move in you, he wants his power to flow through you and it won't be achieved by your efforts but it'll be achieved by your rest and your, and your understanding of his grace towards you. Jesus on the cross, the first time he ever called Father God was on the cross. And he cried, he says, he said what? My God, why have you forsaken me? And that's interesting, but the reality of what Jesus was doing is that he himself became what we were because we called him God. And he became what we were and says, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that now he can exchange who he is, we can exchange who we are for him. And now instead of us calling him God, we can call him Father that he had been calling him all along. We call him Abba. We call him, it is only by the grace of God. And so today, I want to encourage you. The story of the Bible is a God who calls us to his own calls us to live lives that honor and glorify him, but makes us understand it is only by his grace and his grace alone. And it's the beautiful story. Side note, you have Boaz's mom, you have Ruth, Orpah, the Jewish Midrath, speaks very strongly that Ruth and Orpah were sisters. That's what makes Ruth such a, a tremendous treasure that she chose to go with her mother-in-law instead of her sister. But Orpah goes back to Moab. She gets married again. In the midst of this demonic culture, she has some boys. And one of her boys shows up later in the story. A little young man named David comes to a Philistine army and there's a man out there called Goliath. That was Orpah's son. And David stood up and because the plan and the purpose of God, because this was the line that he was bringing 
that Jesus would come through the line of the king of King David. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do to the enemy's head when he is on the cross and raises from the dead. He would, Genesis 3, he would crush his head. And David goes up there with a little sling, sinks that stone into his forehead, pulls out that, the sword, and he slices his head off. This is the beauty of God's story. It's perfect and it's full of his grace. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for who you are. I want to thank you for your kindness. I want to thank you that, Lord, in our journey of walking with you, that we look back and we see the wrong things we did or the things we did for the wrong reasons. We see our failures. We see our heart conditions. We see our attitudes. We see our bitterness. We see when we receive bad counsel and when we were selfishly driven and the places we went and the things we did and the motivation behind all of our happenings. And Lord, today, we stand in awe that it's only by your grace that we're here. And Lord, today, I want to pray for those who have disqualified themselves, that they have gone too far. And Lord, I want to pray for those of us here who have disqualified others, that we have just determined they have gone too far. But first, God, for those who feel like their past is too much. Lord, today I pray that they would be fully aware of your ability to give them a new life. And for those who are saved and are under the spirit of condemnation because of a past Moabite life, today may they surrender. May they know that all things today are under the blood of Jesus and that it's by your grace that they are saved and made new, not made better, made new, that the old is gone and you see the new. And so Lord, may they leave that past behind, the power of that past and walk into the power of your identity today. Lord, for those who have come from difficult family past, who have been abused by family members, who have been hurt, who've been sexually abused, who have been physically abused, who come from this, from what we read in these scriptures that Ruth would have had to walk through. And God, today, today, God, we ask you that you would bring healing and deliverance to them by the grace of God. Lord, that they would receive the full understanding of your care and your kindness and your love. That what happened to them is not their identity. It's now a part of their testimony. And a testimony is God, when we look back over our past, it's not about us, it's about look what God has done. And so Lord, may they receive healing and peace and a new life. 
God, for us today, who have maybe stood in judgment over people, that they have gone too far, that you can't use them. Maybe we've been like some of the Israelites who would reject those from other nations or other places that would give their lives to the one true God, but we still stand in judgment. Or, the, or us today under the new covenant that think that you, can, you can't use certain people who, have, who are in certain lifestyles or even have come out of them. Lord, today I ask you that you would lift our eyes to see the grace of God that can use all people, that can do all things, and that with man it is impossible, but with you, God, all things are possible. And so, Lord, may we as people receive healing today and also receive your eyes and your grace to see others the way that you saw Ruth. And so, Lord, we are so grateful for you. May we be encouraged today of your grace. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give an opportunity for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If you sense in your heart now that God has is stirring and revealing to you that you need him, that's because he's drawing you near to him. And if you want to give your life to, today and be forgiven and cleansed and given a new life, nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand right where you are. Bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? You can raise your hand. Just do it quick. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It just acknowledges what Jesus has done and ask him to cleanse you. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you died for me. And I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe that you have just made me new. From this moment forward, I am forgiven. I am a child of God. And I will follow you all the days of my life. And you're going to do crazy things with me that I never thought possible. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. If you gave your life to Jesus, you can scan that QR code on the back of the seat. If you want prayer at the end of service right now, you can come forward. We would be honored to pray with you. Let's all stand to our feet. Thank you for your patience this morning. If you can, just lift your hands to the Lord so I can be honored to bless you today. Just receive the blessing of God as you leave. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would bless your people, that you would strengthen them, that they would have a new revelation of your care and your love and your call on their life. May they leave here today, God, knowing that you are with them and that you have provided all the things that they need through the cross of Jesus Christ. May they walk in prosperity. May they walk with clarity of mind. May they walk with re uh, restoration in their relationships. May you use them. And God, may you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.